turn to First Chronicles, if you would, tonight. Also got a chance to text a little bit back and forth with uh, Nancy Rallone, and her and Keto are doing pretty well, kind of laying low to make sure things are good health-wise and coming out in public, but otherwise they're doing about as good as they can at this point, but continue to pray for them if you would. First Chronicles chapter 4. For some this might be obscure, but for others it might be familiar. First Chronicles 4, we're just going to read verses 9 and 10. First Chronicles 4, 9 and 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Why are those verses famous? Well, popular. Do you want to remember? How many have read the book, The Prayer of Jabez? It came out in the year 2000 by Bruce Wilkinson. Wildly popular. How wildly popular? Its first two years, now it's a small book, uh, very small, less than 100 pages, but the first two years it was published, it sold 9 million copies. And since then, since 2002 to now, which is roughly 20 years later, it has sold another 11 million for a total of 20 million copies. Now, that makes it one of the most best-selling Christian books of all time. Why? Why? Well, let me tell you what the author wants you to do with it. If you've ever looked at it and read it, I, have a, I had a copy. I'm not sure I still do, but he said... Here's what his book was for. Use it as something like a mantra, as a set of words that you can repeat over and over, and then you will receive the answer you deeply desire. That's what these two verses meant to him. Why did that little two-verse summary and what he said in those few pages, why was it so popular? Today I looked on Amazon, and there were still 234 reviews of it, and the average was five out of five stars. Um, why all these years later, 20-some years later, millions of copies later, why is it still so popular? It didn't even get a four out of five. It got five out of five. Um, here's why. If you get a chance to read it, it's pretty obvious. Um, it is a simple formula for success. It's that simple. Um, in his words, I'm going to add my own rendition. Um, repeat the magic words over and over again until God gives you what you want. That's why it's so popular. Um, it's, it's a thought, isn't it? It's, in fact, it's a desire, and we, no one wants to say it. But we all would like to, and we do it in, you know, in unusual ways. We want to reduce prayer and to God to a formula that we can control. And so we want something like this. If I say this and I do this, it will equal what I want. And so when somebody comes out with two verses from the Bible and tells you, hey, if you repeat this over and over again and you do this, then God will give you what you want. And that's a formula that we like, we can control it. Unfortunately, it's 
not right. It's a wrong view. And let me tell you tonight, we're going to do two things. That book and all of its millions of copies and all the people who believe those lies were all based on a misinterpretation of Scripture. Let me give you my first admonition tonight. It is not your job as a Christian to only read your Bible a lot. It's to read your Bible well. It's to read your Bible rightly. The the pastoral epistle says that we are to, as pastors, rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, it is our job as believers to accurately interpret it, apply it, and then live it. Bruce Wilkinson, and I don't know the bulk of his ministry, although I I read a lot of things about him this week. Um, On this occasion, minimally, um, he did not handle scripture well at all. Um, And I would tell you that that is a danger that we all have to be aware of on a regular basis, including pastors. Um, The will of God, let me give you an example, and I'm not gonna go through each one of these. They could have a message on their own. The will of God has been twisted and turned and wrenched out of its context of what it really is all about for the longest time. And now it has become a subjective thing, more than an objective thing. And it is totally disordered today in so many ways, but it's because we have mishandled Scripture. The prosperity gospel and why thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions across the world believe that God's greatest desire for you is to be wealthy. And if you don't have all that you want, then something's wrong with your faith. It is rubbish charismatic movement in the belief that people can and i watched a video just this week about the bethel church i think is if i'm not incorrect that prayed for days if not longer maybe weeks that the pastor's daughter that had died god would raise her from the dead it is really horrific when it comes to that And that's all based on, and the tongues movement and healings and all of that is based on a huge misinterpretation of Scripture. The fact that you could think today that the word gay and Christian go together, um, that you could be practicing homosexuality and believe that with confidence that you have a home in heaven is utterly unbiblical. I mean, obvious Scriptures would say the contrary, but you can... All of these things are based on people who have mishandled the Bible. And so the reviews of the prayer of Jabez say, the best prayer book ever. Big blessing little book. This book has changed my life. How is it possible? Um, Because too many of God's people who name the name of Christ have expectations that do not come from Scripture. They come from the American dream. And we have decided to read our, our lives and our needs and expectations and filter them through the lens of culture instead of the proper interpretation of Scripture. And as a result, I believe you'll find this passage to illuminate us on is that we live in a wrong story. We don't live in God's story. We live in our own story or one manufactured by the world around us. And we can hardly have the discernment anymore to tell the difference between the two. This passage, these two verses, unlike what Bruce Wilkinson would tell you, they are not about the power of Jabez's prayer as if you should repeat it over and over again. They are verses about the power of Jabez's God. Um, They are... 
Now, I should say, let me say it this way. The first Chronicle has a lot of things, and Second Chronicles included have a lot of about prayer in them. And so this shouldn't be if you are familiar with the two books, which, by the way, until about 300 B.C., for well over 1,000 years, um, these two books were put together. There wasn't First and Second Chronicles in the Hebrew Bible. It was Chronicles, and it was a big book because it included both of them in about... 800 to 1,000 years, I should say, later, they split them up for various reasons. But if you read them both, you'll find that theme is a very, uh, the prayer is an important theme throughout those two books. But what you need to understand and what Bruce Wilkinson didn't grasp is that prayer is not a mantra. It's not a magical power. It's not something you do to get what you want. Prayer is to get what God wants. It's not you going to heaven and bringing it down. It's God coming to heaven and bringing it up. That's what he wants. He wants what's done on earth to be like it's in heaven. So tonight there are two important things. And through this, I may not stop and say it at every uh, turn, but I want you to look at how the scripture should be interpreted and held together and looked at so that you can learn. And by the way, I want to press on you again tonight the weighty responsibility that you have to not only just read the Bible, but to learn how to read the Bible, to learn what it says and have tools and have things. It is incredibly crucial for your life and your marriage and your family that you know how to handle Scripture. So we want to do that tonight, and we want to also learn the application as well, and that is how to respond to pain prayerfully and rightfully. And so we're going to try to do both at the same time, which may be a tall task. Let me get going on it, though. The theme of this narrative is pain. Look at the text. Circle it in your Bible. It's mentioned three times. Not prosperity, as Bruce Wilkinson would say. It's not about that. It's about pain. It's, it's mentioned three different times, and the word is used there. And the Bible says that God has a plan for your pain, All right, let's keep that in mind, and we're going to go through the text. You know three times in this text, not only is pain mentioned, but the name Jabez is mentioned. Let me give you a little help about, I know we say Jehovah today with a J and all of those, but there was no J in the Hebrew language until 1,400 years after Jesus. So those are English adaptions. So there was no J. They they didn't have J. They didn't say that letter ever. They had Y. So it's not Jehovah, although we, it's okay to say that. It's Yahweh. Um, that's, it's, it's Y sounding. It wasn't Jesus. It was Yahshua, right? And it wasn't Jacob. It was Yaakov, right? That's the, so that's how they would say it. So he, Jabez is not Jabez. It's Yabetz. There wasn't a Z, Unfortunately, it would be an S, a T-S sounding on the end. So his name would have been Yabetz. And it means, and very similar, it means pain. Not surprisingly, right? So it sounds like the word pain. In fact, the Bible says, and his mother called his name, look at it in the text, verse 9, Jabez because, here's why he got that name. Now, that wouldn't go over very well today. Imagine what a pain she is, you know. Mr. Payne, you know, I mean, no one would want that name, but they believed in giving you a name that fit the circumstances or something about you they wanted to have. 
but his life caused pain. And so his mom's having him and she has pain because of him. So the text is about pain. His name means pain. Pain and childbearing. He prays to overcome the pain in his life. And most likely, although I can't prove it all together, he was probably in pain when he made this request or he wouldn't have asked for it. So pain is the common thing. Now, it's incredible once you get those features down. See, we got all that information from words that were repeated, which is one of the most important tools that you can use. His name is repeated. Pain is repeated. And when something's repeated three times in two verses, it has to be crucial to be a part of the main message of what's taking place. This is what I call a mini-biography. And you have to ask, and here's another tool. Can I give it to you? Not only look at what the text offers you itself, but looking at the text and everything around it, ask questions. Asking the right questions of the text when you are studying it is absolutely crucial. Here's one I thought, because Bruce Wilkinson made millions of dollars in books over two verses. But he's right. It's important. Why did God put this mini biography of two verses about a pretty much unknown character right in the middle of a genealogy? Why did he stop and do that? And I asked myself, why this guy and why these two verses and why in this place? Here's why. Um, The story is located in 1 Chronicles, which is the hinge book between the time of the judges and the kingdom years. So David hasn't come around yet, but he's on the scene shortly. And the book of the Judges has been taking place, and that's where Jabez lives. And so here's what we find out about him. He's in a time that pretty much everyone around him, most everyone, isn't living for God. You know the Judges is a series of cycles of idolatry. So they would worship God, and they would you know, get rid of him, and then find another God of the nations around them, and God would judge them and punish them and raise up a judge to deliver them, and the whole thing would be repeated constantly. It was a cycle of idolatry. That's where he lives, right? And that's important to know because that's what's taking place in the religious culture and around him. Also, it's good to know that his verses are in the middle of the genealogy of Judah, So he is of the tribe that would bring the Messiah, who would be the ultimate king, and the tribe that brought off the king in Chronicles, who is David. So he comes from the Davidic Messianic line, and that's no small feature. So with those things in mind, we are going to take a look at the real prayer of Jabez and what it means, all right? So we've got some of the ancillary things out of the way. We've defined some of the terms. We've put it in its context. Now let's see why it's there. It says in verse 9, Jabez was kabod. He was more honorable. It's often translated, in fact, more often translated glory, But it would make sense to translate it that way. He was more honorable. We would say today he was more weighty. He was, truthfully, we would say today he was more known. He had weight. The guy was valued in his culture. Now, he was from a little town. In fact, interesting, if you want to cross-reference it, go back a chapter or two in 1 Chronicles 2.55, and it says that there are certain people 
from the city of Jabez. Now, most likely, since he's the only one in the Bible, that he was so known and somewhat popular and revered and heavy in people's mind as far as his godliness, that there was even a city named after him, maybe before his death, most likely. And so he is that popular in some ways. And so here's what we know about him. He carried more weight. He was well-known, way more than his brothers. And so here's what the difference, even in, listen, even in his own family, he was different. He was different. He had more honor. He was known for being unlike everybody else. He stood out. They even named a a town after him, perhaps. He stood out from his brothers. Now watch, just like the one that would come from his tribe, David. Remember when Samuel went to anoint the king that would replace Saul? And all of Saul's, I mean, all of Samuel's, I should say, David's father, all of his sons came, right? None of them. This one, the very last one, is who he would choose. See, David was the unexpected one. He was the one that was so ordinary, keeping the sheep, that no one would have thought that he should have even had to come that day. In fact, he wasn't even there. They had to go get him. Why? Because it's the ordinary one in the group of the brothers that stands out. And I think similarly, in a certain principle, in that way, Jabez is exactly the same. The Bible says he stood out. And let's look at it again, verse 9. It says, he was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name pain, saying, because I bore him in pain. Now, someone tell me about what is true about, what, is, what are you supposed to hear in the Bible? Ready? What are you supposed to hear in the Bible when a woman has pain in childbearing? Where does that come from? Yes, Genesis 3. Alan, what does it say as best you can? Oh, don't look at the screen because then you're cheating. Right, so here's the thing about reading the Bible. Here's a discipline. It's not just the little bit of the Bible, the paragraph or the chapter you read that day in your meditation time. You ought to take another discipline, not the same, different, but necessary, is reading all of the Bible. I'm not forcing you to do it all, the whole Bible, every year. But you ought to be reading throughout the Bible all the time. And not reading it to get an application for your life. You're reading it for a different reason, for content. You want to be able to hear things. So when you hear a phrase mentioned, you'll go, oh... I know where that comes from in the Bible, and it makes sense to you. So what are we supposed to believe when it says, and his mother bore him in pain? So she's having a child and she's having pain. We're supposed to think this. This guy is under a curse. He's a living example of what exactly happens because Adam and Eve sinned. And so he was born, and he was basically a curse to his family because of the pain that he brought. It wasn't the normal pain that a woman would have. It must have been way more intense, perhaps life-threatening. Remember Rachel when she had a son who actually did take her life because she was having a child, and she named him in Hebrew Benani. Right? His dad would rename him Benjamin, son of my right hand. But she named him, before she took her last breath, Benoni, which means son of my sorrow, son of my pain. Right? Jabez has that moniker 
from the first moment of his life. He's a sign in how he came into the world that men and women especially are cursed by God. So we got to keep that in our mind under our belt because that's where that whole idea comes from. Okay? So what do we get out of that? We're going to see in just a little bit the word blessing, right? God, he says, God, would you bless me? And so what he's asking for, we're going to see, is he's going to turn a curse into a blessing. That's what his life is about. So let me tell you the application comes from that. So we're going to pause for a second and we're going to learn. So here's a guy who from the very moment of his life, the circumstances around him are all negative. He's growing up in a society that is not spiritual, godly, religious, because by and large, the nation is completely, most of the time, idolatrous. That's what's going on around him, right? He is born into a family where he himself, without controlling or having any say in it, causes incredible amount of pain and reminds his mom and everybody else how cursed it is in this world because of sin. And that's what everybody remembers him for. So his own personal life, the national life of his country before God, all of his surroundings are bad, negative. But what do we see about him? None of those things are going to define Jabez. He is not going to be defined by the pain he, is cho- he will not be defined by the people around him, the circumstances around him, the things he cannot control. They will not define him. How about you? We could go through the room tonight, could we not, and hand out a microphone to everybody else. And why I asked you already, look at how Jabez responded to his pain. How about this? What if you had to respond that people thought, don't take this wrong, that you are a pain. And I don't mean in a colloquial way, right? That everything about you, they just wonder why you are here. Maybe you think that sometimes. But notice this. Jabez didn't respond by playing the victim card. He didn't have a pity party. He didn't say, you know what? What is my life anyways? From the very moment God has allowed my life to be difficult... So why do I keep going? I'm going to quit, throw on the towel, and I'm going to be just like everybody else. But the Bible says, no, 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 he wasn't. He wasn't like his brothers. He was more honorable than his brother. See, he never took that response. He never took that approach. He didn't try to blame his choices on being a product of his environment. I don't know whether his mom and dad nurtured him or not. Jabez grew up, despite his surroundings, despite the people around him, he made choices because here's what he says. There's a purpose in my pain, and I'm going to find out what it is. So what about you? Think about this for a second. I did because I tried to apply it to myself. If someone wrote a two-verse mini-biography of your life, what would they say? You only had two verses. First verse is about how he started. Second verse is how he finished. What about you? Oh, they had pain. Oh, you know, when they were very small, their parents got divorced. Or, wow, they told me the story of how they were abused as a teenager. Mm. Absentee dads. I've, I've had stories of people who told me, you know where I learned about drugs and alcohol? In my home where I grew up. 
brought up in a difficult neighborhood. I learned to fight and carry knives when I was 12. Heard these stories. Poor school systems. Didn't grow up in a Christian home. Never heard the gospel until you graduated high school. Health problems. Accidents. Chronic illness. Physical pain. Emotional pain. But we all make choices. Jabez had those pains, similar pains, his own pains, but he changed and let God use it to change his life. My mom, you may not know the story about my mom. She died of Alzheimer's a few years ago when she was 78. My mom, when she was three, um, her parents didn't want her. Her dad was in the military and was a womanizer and was drunk pretty much of the time. Didn't want to take care of her, so at three years old, they gave her to her grandparents. My mom told me it wasn't until she was almost 12 years old that her parents ever gave her any clothes and gave her a dress on her birthday for the first time when she was 12, although they lived in the same vicinity. (laughs) When I went to see my mom's mom when I was a kid and went to Texas, because she was born in San Antonio, I went to see my mom's grandmother, I only met her one time, her real mom, one time in my life. My mom never talked about her, didn't hardly know her, and everyone in her family had nothing to do with my mom because of how her mom and dad treated her. In fact, when my mom's real mom died, they only told my mom about it three months after they buried her. If she wanted to, she couldn't have gone to the funeral. My mom grew up and didn't know what family was like. Um, She didn't have any. The only reason she ever went to church is she literally, not making it up, she literally walked two miles each way to go to a Pentecostal church, which she couldn't stand. But it was the only church she could make it to. And then she met my dad (laughs) Um, from Texas. My dad had family, and they were all that kissing cousin kind of Texas stuff going on and loud and crazy, probably like my family a little bit. Um, but they loved and they knew family, and my mom learned to love family. My mom changed, and what I always used to tell, my mom used to tell me when she was telling me about her life, she would, sell, she would say, oh, those are the stories of who I was, but I want to tell you who I am. It's an identity thing, isn't it? And my mom never let all the things of her past. My, my, my grandfather, who was her dad, drowned when he was drunk on a boat in the Mississippi River when I was six months old. I never met him that I know of. I have pictures of him in my office, and I, I have pictures in my office of him, not because of any fond affection for him or appreciation for his life at all, because I would remember this is not how you do it. <laughs> but my mom overcame that, Jabez did too. Did you see how verses 9 and 10 are put together in the original language? Verse 9 says, Jabez was. And then verse 10 says, Jabez called. Do you see that? Intentionally, the writer of Chronicles puts Jabez's name first at the beginning of both of those lead sentences in those verses. Why? Because it's two parts of his life. This is what he was, what he was dealt, can I say, by the sovereign design of God, the pain in his life. This is what he had no choice over. Verses 10 is what he had choice over. This is how he responded. And you know what it was? To put God smack dab in the middle of it. 
It says, in his pain, Jabez called on the God of Israel. You know what his response to pain was? Prayer. More importantly, God. He stopped looking around and seeing only things from the earth. He saw things from heaven's point of view, and it changed everything in his life. See, Jabez saw his circumstances through God. He didn't see God through his circumstances. It didn't say, and Jabez complained to God. That's us. No, Jabez called on God. He called on, watch, real quickly, we're almost done. He called on the God of Israel. Why does that matter? Because God is Elohim. It's the mighty God. It's the same word used at the end of verse 10 a second time. It's the normal name for God. It's, can I say it reverently? The generic name for God. But he's not just God. He's the God of Israel. So he's the infinite God, the mighty God, Elohim. But he's also the God of Israel. See, he's close and personal. And here's what Jabez knows in his pain. That God is not just transcendent with all the power. He's close enough and personal. So does he care tonight about your pain? Yes, he does. Can he do something about it? Yes. Does he know about it? Yes, in detail, personally. He's the God, the covenant God of Israel. And by the way, think about this. He's about the only one saying that because everybody else is worshiping idols and the gods of other things. And so when he says the God of Israel, he's saying, not the pagan false gods of the Canaanites around me. I'm still true to the God. The God of Israel, the one who really lives and reigns and and controls all the nations. And he calls out on God of Israel and says, God, do what you said you'd do. What do you mean, Pastor Walker? He says, oh, that you would bless me. God, I've been a curse in everybody's eyes up until now. Can you, by your grace, right? Would you bless me means undeserved favor. Would you bless me? I don't deserve this, but would you bless me and turn my life completely around from cursing to blessing? God, I know that you can do it. There's no mention of wealth in this text. And let me close with this. Would you bless me? And then he tells you what that means. Now, this is where Bruce Wilkinson was about as far off as you possibly could be. He says, what does it mean to bless me? I want you to enlarge my border. The, the text that's used to correspond with this is Exodus 34, 24, where God tells them when they go into the promised land, here's what he will do. I will cast off the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Let me tell you what Jabez is after. Not wealth and not some God who will do magical things to suit his fancy. He's asking God to keep his promises. Enlarging your border was Jabez was in Israel and he had a a plot of land. And when he asked God to enlarge his border, he is asking God to do what he said when Israel would come to the promised land. You know what that means? That God would give them a piece of land that he would call his own because that was God's promise to them. And here's what he knows when he prays to God, what's going to happen. He says in verse 10 that you would enlarge my border and... Ready? And that your hand would be with me and you would keep me from harm so it not being repaid. What do you have to do to enlarge your borders when the Canaanites live there already? Remember the judges? We're going from the judges to the conquest, right? Right, the conquest, I mean, sorry, the conquest of the judges. We've gone through Joshua, Ketchum, but what happened to the judges? They gave back half that land because they were disobedient. So what is the kingdom years? It's getting it back. Have you ever watched kingdom, David's kingdom, and Solomon's, it says, and their borders kept expanding, and Solomon had the biggest. Why? Because that was God blessing their obedience. What is 
Jabez, as a personal, ordinary guy, say, Lord, enlarge my borders because I'm going to do exactly what you say. And here's the promises. If you'll be with me, Joshua, I'll be with you wherever you go. Your protection, your presence, God. Like you promised Joshua, I know we've lost a lot of ground, but God, let me take my little piece. In your pain, can I tell you this, God's purpose? He wants to be for you to believe his promises are true. He wants you to say, God, in this, I want you to use me. I want you to defeat the enemies. And that's why he says, don't let it harm me. In other words, I'm going to fight battles. I'm literally going to fight the Canaanites and it's going to be dangerous. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be outnumbered. But God, remember the stories. Remember the stories of how outnumbered, and you, you struck down all these people and you brought down Jericho. God, protect me just like you protected. Remember what God says, and not a person will stand against you all the days of your life. That's Joshua chapter one. Jabez knows those promises. Do you hold on to the promises of God in your pain? Do you believe that God is up to something? That God's working in your life? Because you know how God works? Jabez knew it. Mighty God Elohim, I'm in pain. How does God work? Well, he displays his power in my weakness. Who would have thought Jabez could do anything? No wonder they named a town after him. He was such an example in the most difficulties of his life. He said, God, I know you can change curses into blessings and you can change it. And it says this, so that it won't bring me pain. God, I don't want defeat anymore. I want to live in the victory that you've given me. Take the curse, God, and give me a blessing. And it says this, and God granted literally, watch, what he asked. What he asked. Because he was asking the right things. You know why? Because when everybody else around him was living in a different story, the idolatry story, he chose to live in God's, even though he was in pain, and God honored it. Can I tell you this? You live on this side of the curse, he, I mean, he did. You and I live on this side, the other side of the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, and he became a curse for us, right? He took the curse for us. Galatians 4.4 says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And when you're under the law, you're under a curse, Can I tell you, you and I come from the place where there is no more curse. Jesus in his death and resurrection has removed it. Victory is ours. But there'll be pain. There will be. But the question is, knowing what you know, having what Jesus has done, how will you respond to it? Let's pray. Father, great lessons for us to learn practice in two little verses, a mini biography of a man whose name doesn't exactly get lit up on a marquee anywhere. But what a lesson we can learn from his example. Oh, he's just an ordinary guy, just two verses in the middle of the huge history of Israel. But Father, I pray for us tonight in the same vein that our little two verses would display your glory in lives that are dedicated to living in your story and letting your power be displayed in our weakness that we might live out your purposes and your plans in our pain that you might get all the glory and we might get the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.